This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Many successful male executives have profound stories of challenge in their father-son relationships. It's as if their great corporate success is a way to prove their value and worthiness to fathers who were distant, unsupportive, and sometimes abusive. In other cases, fathers were physically and or emotionally absent. All of these scenarios affect how sons and daughters show up at work. Some of the most tyrannical and difficult bosses have adopted their interaction patterns from their own difficult fathers. Today's special guest shares her insights about father-child relationships from personal experience, her research and her consulting work with sons and daughters. How do fathers impact their children? How do adult children relate to their own children given their father-child experiences of origin? And what are the implications for business executives? I'm Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, your host for The Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. And today our topic is how father-child relationships impact the success and failure of corporate executives. Gigi Michelle Denard, my special guest, is the CEO of Well-Fed Resources. Her areas of personal development expertise include father-child relationships, identity cultivation, effective communication, and kingdom living. She debuted as a voice in the fatherless movement in 2012 after publishing the first edition of Hungry for Wholeness, a call to pursue healing and restoration in your father-child relationship. She was also the opening keynote speaker for the inaugural Father Shift Conference. Gigi speaks before corporate executives, federal policymakers, college students, church congregations, radio listeners, and nonprofit volunteers. Her compelling desire is to see everyone within her sphere of influence break through impasses to achieve their full potential. Her focus is 360-degree wellness in spirit, soul, body, and business. From state champion orator in high school to director of training at Capital Concierge to workshop leader at the kickoff Women in Leadership Conference, she has engaged and inspired audiences for almost five decades with her transparency and empathy. Welcome, Gigi, to the Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. I am so delighted to be here. Uh, I really look forward to this conversation and thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome, and I'm very delighted to have you here, too, because your topic is an extremely important topic to my audience, whether they know it or not. And so we (laughs) want to unpack that today. And I know that a lot of the work that you're doing right now is rooted in your own 
experiences with your father. So I want to start there, Gigi, and have you tell us maybe the Cliff Notes version or the highlights of how you grew up without your father. And tell us a little bit about how you ultimately met him. Um, I grew up without my father because my mother, when she got pregnant, she actually left my dad at six months pregnant. And then she felt it was going to be better for me not to be pulled between parents. So she uh, denied him access to me. So that's why I didn't see him or know him. And then I actually asked her when I was 16 if I could invite him to my high school graduation. And that led to my meeting him. I actually sent an invitation to his father who sent it to him. And then two months afterwards, we had an opportunity to meet finally. That's phenomenal. And so tell us a little bit about that first meeting that you had with your father. What was it like? That was, uh, (laughs) it's hard to even find words almost to describe it. It was exciting, overwhelming, um, all at the same time. I was a little nervous because I wasn't sure how my mother would treat him. And so that whole dynamic was interesting, but it was also affirming in a lot of ways. I could see myself in him in so many ways. I'm so much like him. So it filled a lot of holes for me that had kind of been in my psyche and identity in meeting him. I love that part where you talk about how that meeting him filled some holes that had been there before. Say a little bit more too about how your own sense of your life and your sense of yourself changed after you met your father. I knew that I missed him, but I didn't know what I was missing. (laughs) That makes sense. In that void, I didn't really know exactly what it would be like, but that sense of acceptance for who I am exactly as I am was something that was really missing. And so it created in me a very strong performance orientation type bent in a way that I think was unhealthy. And then experiencing that kind of just unconditional acceptance from my father really healed a lot of that. And I no longer had a need to find my acceptance in my performance. That's a great picture of what a father can add to a daughter's life in this situation. So let's talk a little bit about your relationship with your mother in this sense. Why was the relationship with your mother absent your father not exactly enough in your case? Because we have lots of people who are in those scenarios today where they may be in single parent homes and they're being raised by their mothers. They don't have the benefit of their fathers in the home or even in their lives. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just, you know, parents are designed to be sort of a yin and yang. (laughs) And when you're missing a piece of that, um, then whatever that parent would have brought into that relationship is not there. So in my case, the roles were a little bit different than what's typical. My father was actually more the nurturer. My mother was very authoritarian. There was definitely a gap in terms of emotional support and understanding, you know, and that kind of stuff that that I didn't have with just that one parent there. That was really challenging. <laughs> that was that particularly because I'm a very empathetic, 
kind of emotionally wired person. And my mother could not relate to that. <laughs> so that created a big gap in our communication and our being able to relate to one another. And thank you for personalizing it in the sense that this was the narrative for your family. There may be other kinds of gaps that occur in additional, you know, with other people as far as the yin and the yang, what the specific yin and yang might be. We also know, Gigi, that a lot of times because of how we've been raised ourselves, it impacts how we then parent our children. So when you think about your mother, what did you ultimately learn about her own father relationship that probably impacted the choices that she made and how she showed up with you and with your father? Absolutely. I think that's very much related. Um, my mother also grew up without her biological father. Now, there was a father in the home who was a very solid, I mean, solid man. <laughs> he raised my grandmother's seven children that were not his. He was just about needing, you know, sainthood. He was, he was a great, great father. But I think that that not knowing, you know, that separation with her biological father, um, not having that relationship I could tell that there was something missing. As I got older, I could see something missing, even in her relationship with the grandfather that I knew, you know, who had raised her. But I think she never got that hole filled either. So I do think that that impacted everything in her decision making and probably to some degree, even in her, her choice of a husband. Yeah, very important concepts. So, when we think about it, it's clear that boys and girls need their fathers. From your perspective, why do they need their fathers? Because fathers are designed to help you develop your identity, help you grow into being confident in who you are, knowing who you are, helping bring out those things about what your dreams are and, and where you your course in life should be going. It's not that mothers don't participate in that, but fathers are wired in a different kind of way to bring a voice and a vision and a guidance and a sense of security along that journey. They're the ones who tend to push you out to like, you can do it. You can, you can make it happen. Go ahead, try it. Mothers tend to be more protective. Don't want you to get hurt. You know, <laughs> you know, don't do that crazy thing over there. And you know, dads tend to be more like, don't worry, go do it. I'll catch you, you know, kind of thing. And when when fathers aren't present, it is often the case that both boys and girls grow up either insecure. They tend to be unsure about who they are in the world, how to navigate in the world. Boys who don't see a father treating their mother well, don't know that what that looks like, <laughs> and then pass that on in their own relationships. A lot of times, depending on the type of father, if you had a really authoritarian father and that was hurtful when you get into the workplace and you end up working with somebody who's authoritarian, all of that plays out in our psyche and it ends up influencing us subconsciously in ways that we're often not aware. 
In fact, you started talking about something that I really want to get into next, which is that man who really does have a father wound, how does he show up in the workplace? What are we likely to see? So it depends on the type of father. So I'll very quickly kind of go through this. I sort of look at five archetypes. So you've got an absent father like I had. So if a father isn't there at all, a lot of times if that man has not had a male influence to kind of show them how to grow up and develop, they can often just be kind of lost in relationships. They don't know how to interact and how to engage properly because they were never taught. Let's say you had an abusive father, though, then it's a good possibility that person will mimic certain patterns of behavior. Um, they may be very harsh in their communications with their colleagues and employees and stuff like that. And that also might be the case for somebody who had an authoritarian father. You may have had an apathetic father, someone who was at home, but not really paying attention to you at all. And if you were that child who grew up with an apathetic father, it's a good possibility that you don't know how to connect with people. You may be physically present, but you don't know how to engage and really develop relationships. So those are some of the ways that that might look in the workplace. Thank you, Gigi. And I know we've been talking a lot about males in the workplace, and that's a lot of the audience that I have who are, who are listening today. And as you also know, I have a passion for father-daughter relationships. I was very close to my father. He certainly was an, a very affirming influence in my life, even in terms of me taking risks going out to do things that my mother certainly didn't want me to do, just like you said. But my father said, oh, yeah, Karen, she can do that. She can. He felt like I could do anything. And so me going into the military was certainly out of pattern for our family. And yet he supported that and everything else that I've done in the business center and in the corporate world and entrepreneurism, everything that I've done, he's always been a strong supporter right there by my side to say, I know you can do it go out there and take the hill. That would be my father's approach. So when I was studying clinical psychology, my doctoral dissertation was really about father-daughter relationships and how important those are and the impact. So let's talk about females in the workplace. Let's talk about women. And if there's a father wound for women, how does that show up for them when they're now in their corporate executive roles? What do you often see? I think what I see often is that they're still looking for that. They're still looking for that affirmation. So it transfers that affirmation that you can do it, that cheering you on, that confidence in you and your abilities. It's very important for them to get that from a boss. So if they end up with a boss who doesn't provide that, that tends to be very you know, unsatisfying for them. I also, unfortunately, sometimes, it, it, depending on kind of how they've also developed otherwise in romantic relationships, um, there also can be sort of a misplaced sort of affection tendency toward male bosses, because you're really looking for that affection still from a father figure. And it can be very subtle and often not intentional. Um, but it's some, again, it kind of goes back to that you're missing something. 
And so you're trying to get it filled another way. And sometimes it doesn't come from a wife-husband kind of relationship because you're really looking for a leader and, and somebody who's more of a mentor, but you are still looking for an affection. And, and so sometimes it can just create sort of awkwardness and inappropriateness in relationships. And women may not even understand that's what's going on. They may find that their bosses want to create more distance, which actually may hurt, <laughs> you know, because you're trying to get closer because you need, you have this unmet need from your father. They don't understand that either. <laughs> so they're like, eh, something about this doesn't feel right. And so they create boundaries and, and that's the danger of people not being aware. Yeah, and they would probably misinterpret those boundaries, Correct. maybe take it personally and not understand that this might actually be an appropriate boundary in the workplace when, in fact, it could feel like rejection, you know, to the woman who's seeking that father and doesn't know that she's seeking the father, you know? Yes. I'm also thinking, too, Gigi, that some women may be very vulnerable because as they're seeking the father, there may be some, I'll say, less wholesome kinds of men in the workplace who could take advantage of them. Talk a little bit about that and that other side of the coin and what might happen. Yes, I, I think I've probably experienced a bit of that in my own journey, because even though I met my father when I was 17, because I was already dating, I actually ended up in a relationship with someone much older when I was 17. And I think they did sort of take advantage of that. You know, I guess everybody ends up looking for something. They had a need. I had a need. I think they had a need to be admired and adored that they weren't getting at home. And I had a need for this affirming, affectionate, you know, sort of caretaker, provider, protector person in my life. But it was a bad idea, um, <laughs> to say the least. And it's <laughs> not turned out well. But I think, I think that's very easy to happen. Very easy to happen where, because you don't always have the wherewithal to kind of read between the lines and see what everybody's intent is. And so you can get trapped in something before you realize that you're in something that this is not what I was looking for. I've seen that happen for sure. And I've seen it happen in, in corporate America. And I've also seen it happen in university settings and academia with professors and young women. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's making me think about the Me Too movement in general and all of these stories that are coming up about men being in positions of power and women. It's just like the old casting couch kind of scenario in Hollywood. Yes, I want to, you know, be a star and get to my next level as an actor or whatever. And you think that this relationship is maybe going to help you get there when in fact it's an abuse agreement or the charter between the two people and their boundaries that get crossed that probably should not get crossed is what I'm seeing. That I think that happens much more often than is recorded. That's kind of the the other issue that I think is a barrier sometimes to healing with both men and women. If you find yourself in that situation, it can become very difficult, embarrassing to talk about it. You don't want to tell somebody 
But at the same time, you still may not really know how you got there or why you got there. So the likelihood that you will repeat that is much higher. I think it's very important that people understand that there is a relationship between your experience with your father and your other relationships so that you can at least look at it. Take a look. Think about, huh, wonder if that might be why I have this kind of relationship with that person or something. I think people just kind of exist often without really exploring how these dynamics might have wider impact. That's a really good point because just because we don't know something or we're not examining it doesn't mean that it's not affecting us. And when we do examine it, it gives us an opportunity to see the dynamics that are in place and make choices about what we want to do going forward into the future, which really gives us more agency because we understand and we know that. Absolutely. It's very important to understand and be aware of how things are affecting you and why you do what you do and why you are interested in this kind of thing or that kind of thing. You know, it can stem from so many different realms. And a lot of times we don't understand the connections. And so we don't, we don't get healed. You know, we don't get healed. We don't become our best selves, mm -hmm. which is my real desire. We don't become our best selves because we we're carrying this baggage. We don't know we're carrying. Absolutely. Which really brings me to the next thing I want to talk about, which is why is it specifically that men will continue in broken relationships with their children without seeking the healing, especially given all the damage we're talking about that can take place. I think there's a lot of misconception. I think that's part of it. I think a lot of times men really do think that they'll grow up and they'll be okay. They'll get over it. Sometimes it's a mirror of their own experience and they may feel like, well, I turned out okay, so they'll be fine. Not realizing that not only are their kids not necessarily okay, but they're not really okay either. <laughs> you know, we men in particular, I think are much more likely to devalue some of those relational parts of themselves <laughs> that are really important. <laughs> I think that they might even think that that part belongs over on, on somebody else. I know a lot of men who kind of feel like all that touchy-feely stuff, yeah, that's the mom's role. You know, you do that. And so they pull themselves out of even being in the process of engaging in communication that might bring up something <laughs> about how can you help me? I mean, I, I've seen it just repeated. So they don't understand generational wounding either. There are far more men who got wounded, don't know they're wounded by a man who was wounded, who didn't know he was wounded, you know, and there are these long strings of wounded men who repeat be because you can't really give what you don't have. And I don't think that a lot of times that's a part of achievement and success that men are looking for. 
and don't understand how much more fulfilling their lives would be if that were a part of the equation. Yeah, I'm really seeing something where I've seen situations where women are in relationships, let's say, with men who really show evidence of this father wounding experience. However, as you're saying, the men don't see themselves as wounded. They don't think there's anything to fix. And very often they project onto the woman whatever the problem is. And they think she's the problem rather than looking in the mirror to see what contribution might I be making you yes. know, to the situation. And because they don't know that they are battle scarred and, and wounded and they don't know there's anything for them to address, the finger just keeps pointing out there, you know, to the people that they're in relationship with. And so they never get to see that they need to make some changes. And very often they go from relationship to relationship that none of them work because who can live with this wounded warrior who's not getting help? And fail to recognize that they are the common denominator. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, Gigi, you and I both have a Christian perspective on life and on relationships. And so share with us a little bit about how you see what God intends for men to demonstrate in fatherhood. And I, I think this is so, so important that if men would actually look to God's instruction about fathers, to God's own demonstration <laughs> as a father, that would make such a big difference. You know, I think that men who really desire to be good fathers have to look to the creator of fatherhood. And what that is supposed to look like, I think God so clearly demonstrates throughout the word. You know, when you think about David being a man after God's own heart, it's the heart of God as a father that is going to shape men into being great fathers. When they have a relationship with God and really embrace God's father heart and learn what that looks like, you know, I was reading the other day in the prodigal son story, you know, when the son came back, the father didn't, you know, say, yeah, yeah, I always knew you were going to, you know, mess up and squander the money or, you know, he didn't say, all right, I'll let you back in if, you know, you do this, 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 and this, you know, which are often reactions. There's a condition, you know, there's a that whole notion of embracing the child in all of their mess is not typical. It's countercultural. If men really want to be strong fathers, then they have to understand that it's going to look different. It's going to look different than the world does it. But the Bible really has a lot of guidance to offer about how to father, what that looks like what those responsibilities are somewhere in western society we just we adopted this whole thing of of fathers as providers and then like kind of stopped there somewhere and it was ended, intended to be so much more they're supposed to be the spiritual guides of the house and for children their fathers are the ones who typically will determine really their spiritual direction it's fascinating to me that a lot of times, and I see a this a lot, where a mother will go to church. So the kids will go to church with the mother, but what the father doesn't understand that 
his not going to church tells the kids this isn't really important. They will, honestly, if they see that kind of thing, they will make a determination, okay, well, this must not be that important because he doesn't go. And so it, you can take them, take them, take them, but, but there's, it's, it's like what you're living is contradicting what you're teaching. And that modeling of being a spiritual head, you know, if you don't, if you've never seen your father pray, if you've never seen your father get in the word, if you've never had a conversation with your father to talk about integrity and forgiveness and those kinds of principles or, or why aren't we seeing more of the fruits of the spirit in your life? If, if that's not happening, then that's a big gap. <laughs> We're missing a big part of what fathering should look like because, and that's the stuff that's going to really make a difference down the road. You know, when the kids 25 and 35 and struggling, those life lessons and that experience of watching a father walk that out are priceless. Great. So what I'm hearing you say so far is that it's important for the father to meet the child where they are. And they may be in an imperfect place. You know, they might be down in the foreign country squandering money or whatever, but you meet the child where they are just coming back, having lost everything. You meet them where, where they are. You show unconditional love because your intention as the father is restoration and, you know, getting that relationship right. And then I also hear you saying that even though a lot of fathers today, even in Christian homes, are abdicating the spiritual responsibility, what you're saying is that this is the father's primary role to be the spiritual leader and what he participates in and what he signs off on is what they're noticing whether this is important or not. So those are very important aspects that we've covered so far. What it may be another, uh, let's say, example or two principle from the Bible that you would say are important for fathers to acknowledge about their role? I think that in a lot of ways, fathers are, are de depicted in the Bible as teachers. <laughs> they're often... And it's so not just spiritual things, but other things, teaching about life lessons, teaching about how to make good business decisions, teaching about how to do a business or a trade or whatever. You know, there's a lot of that kind of example. And I think that's another place where too many men have abdicated in the home of not really teaching their children and seeing themselves as a mentor for their children. And it's really, I think most kids desire, most kids really want their dad to be like the hero, you know, of their lives and kind of that kind of thing. I think the other part is to show honor. Honor is a part of culture that also is bereft often, but I think that's a big part of what the Bible teaches about fathers teaching their children honor by demonstrating honor, the way they honor leaders, the way they honor, even when they're leaders themselves, the way they honor people that are supporting them. When you think about military leaders in the Bible, you know, every time they, the, the really strong leaders who've led men into battle, they also took care of them. There was an honor and respect 
for each other as a community that I think is a big part of what that fatherhood should look like and the men's roles in the home and in the community when there's an honoring of of one another. I think about Bathsheba's husband when he came home and didn't want right. to eat or, you know, sleep with his wife because all his fellow men were out in the field. So he, I'm going to stay outside. That kind of respect and honor for each other, I think, is another part of what that leadership looks like. Yes, you're talking about Uriah and yeah, his Uriah. Uh, commitment. He was very committed to David and very yes. committed to uh, the nation, actually, yes. of Israel at the time, above even his own personal uh, pleasure, enjoyment, or yes. you know benefits. So I'm hearing several things here. You're really talking about fathers as teachers. And beyond just the spiritual things, teachers in general, and I think, I believe it's in the book of Deuteronomy where, you know, God is instructing fathers to teach their children along the way, you know, in, in everyday life. Use lessons as you're walking along the road, as you're traveling together, so to speak. He didn't really say that to the mothers. He told fathers to do that. So that's that teacher role that you're referring to. And then you're talking about fathers as being kind of like caretakers in a bigger sense of honor in the community, whether it be the military and how they show up there or at work. Or when I think about the fathers who were respected at the gate, you know, when you think about the Proverbs 31 woman and it says her husband was respected, you know, at the gates of the city. So there's a bigger a picture or bigger role in that sense. And yet, Gigi, we know that, as you indicated a few minutes ago, that a lot of fathers out there, they know that they're to be providers for the family. They understand that role. And some of them get really fixated on being the rock star financial providers. And they don't always stop and to think about, well, how am I falling short as, you know, a good father if that's the only thing I focus on is the provider role, which is important, by the way, so we don't want to minimize it. However, if it's the only provider role, what would you say about that? I'd say they need to listen to your show. <laughs> um, because again, I think it is somewhere we bought this image of that's what's supremely important. And I think that men who are fathers need to understand that there's more to it and that there's there's a balanced approach that you can't provide at the sacrifice of the relationship with your children. That if all of your life and time is at the office or on the golf course or traveling to meetings, then something is out of whack and there's a heavy price to pay for that down the road. And I think that's the other thing for all of us. There's a tendency to not pay attention to things sometimes when the, the price that we pay is delayed. <laughs> So we don't see it. We don't see the consequences right away. And I think that gives us a false sense of security. I think sometimes men even think, okay, well, I'm just going to do it for now. I'm going to do it for now. But, you know, after I get to this level, then I'll have more time. And then they get to that level. Of, okay. But after I get to this, then, then I'll have more. And so there's always this pushing out, you know, when I'll get to it. And all this while, there have been children 
<laughs> not being fathered well, even though they may be provided for well. It's a conversation that needs to be had much more often. And I think particularly in this kind of space with executive men who may be achieving all kinds of success in the workplace, but really need to ask themselves, are they rock stars at home? What does that look like? You know, I hear you really extending a broader, an invitation to a broader definition of provider. There's financial provision, but there's also provider in all these other ways that we're talking about, whether it's leadership, acceptance of the child, direction in the child's life or whatever. And if the father's absent on those pieces of the definition of provision, he's not really being a provider. He's only providing in a, a narrow sliver or segment of what God intends. And so I think, you know, inviting men to think about the broader definition of provider is probably helpful in terms of the conversation that we're having. I agree. And I also think that it would resonate with them more. <laughs> and I think that's important. It's, it's uh, being able to speak the language of the hearer to connect wherever they are as well in terms of where they are in their journey, what this looks like. But if they're willing to ask the questions, then, then they'll get there. They'll be able to identify gaps and see where, huh? Yeah. Now that you mention it, <laughs> haven't been doing that much, very much of that kind of thing. That's an important point you just made about speaking the language of the man. Men understand being providers. And if we can talk about these issues in that language, that's probably going to have more traction than talk about nurturing, caretaking, or things that are maybe not naturally a part of their lexicon in terms of the role. Yet everything we're talking about is about being a provider. And so I think that's a very, very important point you just mentioned. Now, we know that the workplace is a strong competitor for the relationships on the home front, and particularly for a man that's in executive leadership. His responsibilities are huge. They're legendary. He's got whole company that he might be the president or the CEO of, a lot of work, a lot of responsibility. And there's also immediate feedback often in the workplace for the success, you know, they can measure their success by financial indicators. They can measure their success by promotions and so many other things. So given that competing interest, if you will, for an executive man, how does an executive man prioritize the father role more than this successful businessman role when the rewards are so high on the successful businessman side. And you already said, sometimes the downstream implications take a while to be realized on the family side. Sometimes it's interesting to me because those same men will be very strategic about how they approach the business success. I think if they use some of those same tools and tendencies. So being strategic, being intentional. I hear that from a lot of male executives <laughs> talking about the importance of intentionality. It is very true in business, but it is also true in relationships. If you're not intentional and whether that means, I also think that sometimes there's a, there's confusion about time 
sink. They're worried that, you know, they say, I don't have time. And most of the time, children are not nearly as focused on how much time, but the quality of the time. So if you say intentionally decided to once a week have a special breakfast with one child and another day of the week do whatever that child wants to do, ice cream after school or whatever, you'd be amazed at how a 30-minute interaction that's designed around that child's interest and needs would fill that child in a way that buying them all the you know gaming equipment in the world just will not do. <laughs> There's a benefit analysis that needs to be done that if they would approach it like that and look at the ROI on this <laughs> is really so much higher than I think what they really understand. I love what you're saying because you're saying that the same way that they approach their business in a strategic fashion and think about and plan out how they want to show up over a quarter, over a year, bringing that those same tools to the family that how important that really is and understanding that there really is an ROI on that investment. That is huge, 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 Gigi. Thank you for saying it in that way so that fathers can use what they already know how to do, you know, to the family situation and start to see some of the results. I mean, in my early childhood, there's a lot of things I could say, but I'll say this. Even as I got older and I was in high school, and I'm the oldest of four children, we curated times where I would take the bus, go down to his workplace, and he would take me out to lunch. And we continued that all through my college years whenever I'd come home. You know, that those are things that we did. And those special times are still meaningful to me today. He and I still talk about it. We still talk about it. And that was years ago. You know, it's a long, long time ago. So yeah, what you're saying is important. Those deposits, they matter. They make a difference. And what you just said is interesting because I think there's, there's the other side. It's not just what the child gets out of it. It's what he will get out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it wasn't just important for you. It was important for your father too. He mm -hmm. recognized that value and it's a memory that he likes to remember, you know, uh, resurface because it meant something to him too. And I think that men who would do that kind of thing to invest that kind of time and create those special situations with each child would find a richness there that they haven't tasted before, would probably actually get an appetite for it when they find it. Amen to that, because we know God doesn't work in just one direction. Exactly. He works in both directions at the same time for mutual benefit of those who are participating in the relationship. So let's go, let's add in another piece. So fathers who are in the workplace and who have been wounded, let's say, themselves when they were younger and growing up, how does this impact the fathering of their own children now? Yeah, I think that that's, that's probably what I see the most. And it's sometimes the hardest to get to because men opening up about their own father relationships can be challenging. It's often not something they're taught to do 
it's often not something that's considered, you know, I think they almost associate it with disability or something, you know, or if it's serious enough that I actually have to talk about it with somebody, (laughs) then that's a malady. And so I think that that's part of the problem is just getting them to talk about it. Because if they don't talk about it, a lot of times, even if they are aware there's a problem, they're not aware that it's affecting their relationship with their children. So many men can, in fact, talk to me about troubles that they've had in their father relationship, you know, with their fathers, but don't see how that's playing out in their relationships with their own children. They don't see the connection because they're not trying to repeat. They don't understand that often they're repeating because that's simply what they have been around for decades. You know, that's what they've seen. That's what they've known and don't understand that it takes work to then get free from that so that you can pass something else on you know, pass something different on. That's the hardest part. It's kind of getting them into the conversation to see that there is a direct correlation, whether you see the implications right now or not. I promise you (laughs) that there's a correlation because we all pour out of what we've had poured into us. We've been reframing things all along. And so let me say this. One of the reframes perhaps that we're bringing to this piece of the conversation is rather than to think about it as disability, for the man to think about it as this continuous education in life, the continual learning cycle and adding to his wisdom and fund of knowledge as he goes along. We can be great at something and you can also get better at whatever it is. So you don't even have to be deficient in order to, quote, get better. And I think having a lens like that could be helpful rather than say, okay, if I'm working on this, this means that I'm in a deficit mode. And that's not necessarily true. You just may be trying to get to the rock star level in the family, just like you are in in the business world. So I think that's one way perhaps to think about it. So Gigi, in our time remaining, because I know you have some profound tools You have your book, which you and your father wrote together. And I want to hear a little bit about that and what that collaboration was like. You also have a virtual course, Hungry for Wholeness, that will help people to get this continual education and step up to the next level. So tell us about these tools, how they resource people. Sure. So Hungry for Wholeness is a book that I started with the story of me and my dad. We found out one of the things I discovered when I met him is that we write just alike. So that was fascinating. (laughs) And so we thought that we tell our story of reunion from each other's perspectives. And that's at the beginning, that's all it was going to be. But I actually had a professor who suggested that we get some other people's stories and make it a book. And I was like, huh, took a decade, but eventually I did that. (laughs) And I think it was good. So I got a chance to tell stories of people who had other kinds of experiences to widen the spectrum, right? It also points to everybody needing to come to know God as their heavenly father and embracing that relationship to help bring them wholeness. So that's where Hungry for Wholeness comes from. Um, But I also discovered as I started 
doing conferences and, and sharing with people that people needed more personal attention around this, <laughs> that a conference presentation just wasn't going to get it. And people wanted more and were asking me for more. So I ended up developing a workshop where I actually walk through some things. So there are kind of three steps that I take people through, recognizing, repent and release, and then receiving, and walk them through a journey to kind of jumpstart a healing process for them. Um, I'm very clear about the fact that it is a process. It's not an event. It's not going to happen in two and a half hours, but I can get you started. I can get you going. And I've also created a 12-week companion diary to help them follow up in that process after we leave, after they leave. So that's, you know, how we've come to that. And, and I think those tools can be helpful for, they've been helpful for fathers. They've been helpful for adult children, whether male or female. And so how would people get a hold of the book and also invitation to the virtual workshop? Excellent. So my website is www.wellfedresources.com. So on the healing page, you can actually do both. You can order the book and sign up for the workshop, but the book and the companion diary are also available on Amazon. Okay, wonderful. So lots of ways to really get in touch and get engaged. And Gigi, you're still speaking on the subject of father-child relationships. So if someone has a, let's say a conference or a corporate event, and they want to have you as a keynote speaker, that's something you also do. Correct. Yep, I do that as well. And again, there's contacts on every page of my website. So very easy to reach out to me and uh, would be happy, delighted to to talk about those opportunities. Okay, great. And say the website one more time for people so they don't Sure. It's www.wellfedresources.com. Thank you, Gigi. You're a wealth of information, inspiration, and also healing for people to just jumpstart their journey as they go along. As you think back over the people who have benefited, let's say, from a workshop that you've done, what's an example, a brief example, no names or whatever, of someone who really has gotten a transformation or an impact from participating? Sure. One of the interesting things is uh, sometimes when I go speak, I'm thinking that I'm going to go in one direction, kind of talking about this father-child relationship thing. And then sometimes I get an impression that this audience needs a, a slight twist. So I was speaking to a younger audience, uh, young adults, and thought that I was going to be focusing on their father-child relationship, but there were a number of young men in the room. And I just had a sense to ask them how many are fathers. At first, they had not been very open. But when I asked them how many are fathers, most of the room had raised their, raised their hand. And so I kind of changed the pivoted and started talking to them as fathers as opposed to sons. And the engagement just increased. So several of them <laughs> really, really, like they just, it opened up things for them that they had never considered about their own fathering experience. There was this real desire to like want to get it right and had no idea that all these things were a part of fathering and really hadn't considered like where they might need help or, you know, even that this was something that could have a long-term impact. That was really exciting to see. It's the 
awareness that healing is even needed that I think brings me great joy. And when I see that, when I can get people to see like, oh, wow, this is really something I needed to understand to see how to move my way forward. Um, that's really the heart of what, what I like to do. I think it's beautiful that you're catching them in the early stage of their fathering experience and so that they have an opportunity to impact their children in a different way. So that's just divine right there. That's what <laughs> I would say. <laughs> so Gigi, as we're wrapping up, what are your additional and final words of wisdom that you would like to share with my community of corporate executives? I would really like to just, you know, this reframing that I think is really important. I think it's, I think it's important for them to be open to reframing their home life in the same way, some of the same terms, some of the same metrics um, that they use to frame being successful in business. And I think that that would go a long way to helping them improve in their fathering journeys and really be bring great benefit to both themselves and their children. That's wonderful, Gigi. And one of the things about that is you are acknowledging the strengths, the talents, and gifts that they already are bringing to the table and that they're leveraging heavily in one arena or they wouldn't be successful executives. And you're just saying, let's just use that over here too. So that's a wonderful thing. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being with me today and having this conversation about father-child relationships and the impact really for business executives. Thank you so much. This was delightful. I was really glad to have the conversation. I think it's much needed in this space. And uh, so thank you for an audience that would listen um, in this context. Amen to that. And so we will close today with the final uh, Bible verse, which comes from Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And this is verse four. And it says, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So fathers, go forward as the warriors that you are. Teach your children, love your children unconditionally, and be the father that God is calling you to be. And we'll see you next time. Today, I'm here with Terrence Chapman, the president and CEO of nonprofit organization, Victorious Family. They are committed to family discipleship and transformation. Thank you for being here, Terrence. Tell us about your big goal, what it is that you're going for at Victorious Family. Well, by 2030, we see reaching 9.2 million families here in the U.S., that is wonderful. And you're reaching these families because you really want to see children grow up and truly continue their faith in Christ. So tell us about one of your resources. Do your children believe the book you've written? Well, Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers don't exasperate your children, but to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we're just being faithful to that calling. In order to do that, we train coaches and we provide workshops and content to train parents on how to disciple their children. That is phenomenal. So how can people find out more about the ministry and the other tools and resources you have available and also how they can donate to support the ministry? 
Well, one of those twos is Do Your Children Believe, a book that we've published by Thomas Nelson. And you can find that at victoriousfamily.org. Fantastic. All right. So there you have it. You want your family to be victorious? Go to victoriousfamily.org. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.